and the path really to success in my opinion mm. is to be able to align those okay what am i feeling and then to reflect intellectually is that the right thing if i'm going to Hey everyone, welcome back to On Purpose, the number one health podcast in the world. Thanks to each and every single one of you that come back every week to listen, learn, and grow. Now, I know you're here because you love learning about new insights, ideas, principles that can transform your life, things that you can put into practice, ideas that you can actually take into your life, apply them, and see changes and transformation happen. Today's guest is one of the few guests who's been on not just once, not just twice, but a third time. I don't think there's more than three guests out of our entire library that have been on as many times as today's guest. And I couldn't be more excited to talk to him. The first time I spoke to him, we were speaking about his book, Principles, an incredible book. If you haven't read it, highly recommend that you get it. Uh, next time we spoke, we spoke about his second book, Changing World Order. And the third one, this interview, we're talking about his new journal called My Principles. I've been flicking through this over the past few days since I've had it. And it has given me so much self-awareness that I already believe I have, but the opportunity to reflect on it again and again consistently makes a huge difference. Of course, I'm talking about the one and only Ray Dahlia. Ray, thank you for being here. Thank you for doing this. Jay, it's uh, <laughs> such a pleasure. All of these times, I love it. Yeah, it's a joy to see you after three years. We did one digital interview, maybe even two, I think we did in the middle of the pandemic. Maybe this is your fourth time, actually. Maybe I'm completely wrong, but either way, I'm just always grateful to be in your presence. I learned so much from you. I remember, I want to share this because the first time I met you, I'd heard so much about you and, you know, your, your reputation precedes you and you have this, you know, huge brand beyond just, I'm not talking about brand in terms of social media or anything in the business world. And I had no idea what you were going to be like. And I was, I was nervous. I was, it was three years ago, but it, that was early in my career of doing this. And I was thinking to myself, I was like, what's he going to be like? I have no idea. Like, you know, how should I behave around him? And then you came in and you were the most you know, charming, disarming individual that I'd met. You're so comfortable to be around. I was telling my whole team that I was like, you you forget everything in your presence. You make everyone feel very comfortable, very respected, very, uh, very wanted and very valued. And I think that's a huge gift. So I wanted to say that because I probably have not told you that, but yes, well, three years ago, I was very nervous. Well, there are times where there's um, an esprit de corps that there are similar values, that you're going after similar things, and you can also play jazz together. It's almost like when we're, right now, it's almost like we can be playing together. Yeah, right? I love and that. I, and we have that, so yeah. I have the same respect, and we can, so let's go play some jazz. Yeah, let's do it. I was gonna ask you, do you remember the first time you ever felt fear meeting someone? Because I know you talk a lot about uh, the truth and fearlessness, but yeah, was there ever a time when you remember meeting a mentor, a business person, a person in your world where you felt a sense of fear and how you dealt with that? Um, my reactions are, uh, tend to be more like excitement. There's a nervous excitement. Yes, nervous excitement is probably the right word. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Because I'm, I'm walking in and I'm thinking, okay, wow, okay. <laughs> but it's, it's a little bit like life, you know? The question at certain moments is, is that excitement? For some people, it's excitement. For some people, it's fear. Mm -hmm. And it's not just at those moments of meeting somebody like that. It, it happens a lot in life, yes. you know? It's yes. almost ambiguity, a taste for adventure. 
I think I'm, I'm more the taste for adventure. Yes. So I will nervously go in maybe with some palpitations and feeling more excitement at it. Like I feel excited about this. I think that's a great refinement. I, I would say I, I feel the same way. It's a nervous excitement. That's something special you have. You have this ability to be really clear about words, read really clear about emotions when you read your work, when you're in your work. Was clarity something that you always found easy or how did you develop that ability to be so clear about the language you use? Even just what you did now, it was like, I used a word and you're like, actually I feel this. And I'm like, yeah, actually I feel that too. So tell me where that refinement came uh, from. I honestly don't know. Um, I have a lousy rope memory. That means, I mean, really, rote memory means like um, if it doesn't have a reason for being what it is, like a phone number or name or anything like that, like I'm terrible. And if it, and in school, terrible, you know, <laughs> memorize this. Minute. But if it's within a context and there's a story or there's something, I have a superb memory of how that transpires. Wow. And I think I was born that way. And so by being born that way, I'm wondering, does that enter into this particular question? And I um, and then I think my job requires me to be thinking in terms of that sort of clarity. But I really don't don't know. You yeah, know? yeah. No, I mean it's it's fascinating for us to at least learn that and perceive that in you. Huh? But it seems like you've done a lot of reverse engineering as well to create the principles in the first place. Like observing success, observing failure, observing wins. It seems like there's been no. You're putting your finger on it. You know what I did is I got in a habit in a very early age that whenever I would make a decision, I would pause and reflect, particularly if it was a painful decision or a painful moment, I'd pause and reflect. I have a principle, pain plus reflection equals progress. And then I would write down my reflections. That's why the journal, I would literally use a journal. This journal, by the way, is connected to uh, an, an app that facilitates that, but, and that's what, what I wanna pass along. And I think that that helped my clarity because at that moment of stepping back when there is greater clarity, when there's calmness after the storm maybe or the excitement of the adventure, whatever it is that you're reflecting on, that reflection, writing it down and thinking about it and thinking, am I clear, I think helps my, I know, helps my clarity a lot. Wow. I remember a few years ago when, when you went to some, through something, you know, extremely tragic. I, I emailed you just just a note of, of love and support. And you quoted that back to me then in an email. And I, I was just blown away by that because I have quoted pain plus reflection equals progress by you a million times. I think I repeat that in every keynote I give because I think it's such a powerful, it's such a powerful principle because as soon as you remove the word reflection, progress disappears and all you're left with is pain. And when you repeated that back to me in that moment, I thought, wow, like to remember that principle in this moment requires so much, just just so much depth. And I, I was truly blown away by that because yep. it's one thing writing it and it's another thing living it. The incident that you're yeah. referring to is uh, the worst thing that could ever have happened to me. Um, I would have rather died than have it happen was the loss of my son. Yeah. But you know, meditation helps a lot, mm. right? So meditation and reflection, because whenever there's pain, there's a reality. It tells you something about reality, and it tells you something about how to deal with reality, the reflections. Yeah. yeah. Life is life. It comes at you. 
It is reality. You can't change it, okay? Yeah. You yeah. can influence it based on your reactions. Yeah. But you have to deal with it, and you have to deal with it in a calm way. So meditation helps you be calm. It helps you see the clarity and then move beyond that to deal with the circumstances well, I think. How did you come to accept that? I think a lot of people struggle with accepting that life's going to come at you, it's going to do what it wants. I think we have a desire for control, and when someone looks at someone as successful as you, they would infer that, oh, Ray probably is good at controlling things. He's probably good at making things happen. What is that balance, or what have you discovered about the idea of like control and acceptance, like where do, where do you live in between that spectrum? Well, I think, uh, you know, it keeps coming back, uh, yeah. the serenity prayer. Mm. God give me the serenity to accept that which I can't control and give me the power to control that which I can and the wisdom to tell the difference. And mm. I think that that really guides it. You know, what is your best? And so it, it is the combination of acceptance, but also <laughs> the desire to influence, yeah. right? And so, yeah, and if you're going to influence, you have to have that equanimity, you know, like a ninja. You know, there are things coming at you, and you can't be hijacked by your emotions. Mm -hmm. And the smartness of your move will determine the outcomes. Mm -hmm. And how do you learn that? Because <laughs> it produces better results, <laughs> and the other one produces bad results, and it's like, do you learn anything? It's the same way you learn, don't put your hand on a hot stove. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I, I love that because I think we live in the world right now where it's like, is it this way or that way? It's always, is it either or? And you're saying, well, no, it's both, right? We need both acceptance and control. We need both desires. And I think often we get lost thinking, well, it's one or the other. You can only choose one. And in all, either of those cases, mm. it's reality. Mm. Okay, you're dealing with reality. <laughs> yeah. So to go above it is so important, mm. you know? Here I am in this situation, and what do I do? What resources can I use? Who might I speak with for help? Mm -hmm. All of that helps you navigate because you, you still have to deal with reality. <laughs> yes, absolutely, absolutely. When, when did you, we were talking about my principles, the journal, and I know, like you said, there's an app attached to it. And for anyone who's uh, wondering why this journal is different, there's so many reasons why it's different. A, because it has better prompts than most journals I've seen, but it also has this QR code that kind of you can scan on every page. And so whether it's doing the assessment or whether in this case it's watch a case study of this principle in action, it's, it's an interactive journal, right, which is very different. I think we have lots of journals where we write with a pen and uh, you're jotting down your thoughts. But here, if you can see, there's, you know, exercises included as well. When did, I'm intrigued, when did your personal journaling practice start, Ray, or did About you? About 25 years ago. But I, I want to say that uh, by being, it, it gives you sort of an option. Do I want to have what I'm doing saved online so then I can play around with it? In other words, I got the data. Yeah. So now once I've got the data online rather than on a piece of paper, you can do things with it. Um, but, but sometimes that piece of paper. But I started about, um, I guess about 25 maybe 30 years ago, I can't tell you. Um, I started, when I started to build my company, I, it was a point of having 67 people. I remember it because every holiday season, I would, you know, I started my company from nothing. 
So I had two people, four people. Well, okay, we got up to 67. I remember it was 67 because it was holiday season. And every holiday, I would um, shop for their individual gifts, and I'd write each individual long notes. And that was then long enough, take, took me long enough, to realize that I really need to communicate better with mm. them. Mm. Um, I also journaled because I needed to write down my decision rules for the markets mm. so that I could go back test them. So I, it's a very great power if you can know what your criteria would be and then say, how, could I, how would they have worked in the past? How would they have worked in this country or that country? Because then you're not just making decisions, you yeah. have perspective on making the decisions. So those two things together got me into journaling. Um, I wanted the world, uh, my world, my people I worked with, we went up to 1,500 people. How do you communicate in a really good way? And, and it wasn't just journaling, but then also I would combine the journaling with uh, videos and cases. My culture was to have meaningful work and meaningful relationships through radical truthfulness and radical transparency. So what, what we would do is video everything or tape everything for everybody to see so that way they could see it. And so by taking the principles and putting them together with the situations, it was fabulous exposure. So everybody was always informed and they were going through like this reality TV type experience. <laughs> And, that, and then they would give answers as they were going through the experience because that way they would have that experience. But imagine a reality TV experience, uh, but it's your reality around you, and then you're making these, uh, this input. And then that input would be able to know what people would think. Wow. So we found all that experience really well. So we took the journals, the journaling of the principles, I, I did, and put that together with the videos. And that's, that's on this app, Principles in Action. It's called Principles in Action. It's, uh, it's free and it's uh, rated 4.9. People <laughs> love it. But that journaling experience, that reflecting and reflecting together and communicating together helps to people bring people together. And it also helps people understand because too much stuff is stuck up here. Oh, wow. I mean, just hearing that, there's so many levels of journaling there. There's the journaling of, like you're saying, you writing down your principles or the gifts and working with people. Then there's the journaling of even videoing everything. I mean, that's journaling, right? You're documenting it. It's recorded. It's there to reflect upon. The, the most brilliant part about that, though, is that I think today people have started to think journaling just means writing down your feelings or writing no, no. down your thoughts, which is, yeah, this is... No, no. I mean, I think it's good to write down your feelings. Of, of course, course. yes. Yeah, so to I, bring yeah. them forward, to look up to up to, and to look at them is that a good, that's a good exercise. Religion is not is a way of life, is an approach to life. I don't mean um, yes. the God part of yes. religion. I mean just how do you, how do you approach life? And you get to make that decision. And so it's really when you're in a situation. What are you going to do in that situation and why? And of course, it starts with your deeper needs, mm -hmm. whatever they may be. What do I want out of life? Who do I want to be with? What are the directions? Mm -hmm. Okay. And then it comes down to the particulars. And the particulars can be um, aspirational. I'm 73 years old. I know that at this particular part of life, I want to pass along the things that are valuable for me. It could be on how do you fire a person? 
How, how do you treat that person? It could be, what is your relationship like? Mm-hmm. And so those are the principles. Um, it, it's not just, it's not journaling feelings. And I, so that, I found that very, very valuable. But I'm in a new phase of my life in which what I'm wanting to do is get the best principles from everyone. Mm-hmm. I've been passing along my principles and so on, and it's been, people find it helpful. What a joy it is, uh, as you must have experienced, when people say, uh, oh my God, you've changed my life. But other people can do it. Mm-hmm. You're doing it. And I say to so many people um, who are really very, very successful people who have never written down their principles mm. that they're going to die with them. Mm. And if they instead write them down and uh, make them clear, then they're teaching other people because there's a life arc, right? We have experiences that uh, things of decisions we make mm-hmm. that make us successful, okay? Including how to deal with pain. And so if we write those things down, we can help other people. And I think like, I probably won't be around um, to speak to my grandchildren in the way that I would like to then, but they will have those principles. Mm. And so now my aspiration is to get the the best principles from wherever they come from. So this journal will be accompanied by an ability for people to submit their principles and I'm doing that also with the most su- successful, impactful people in the world. That's why I'm going to be grabbing your <laughs> principles. And that'll be put online mm. so that people can vote up the what are the best principles. They could either go to Jay Shetty's principles or they can say, oh, through that voting, what's the best principle for the thing I'm dealing with? So that way they can look and they say, I am dealing with this situation. Mm, Push the button. That's fantastic. And then what are the best principles for that situation, wherever they come from? And then they could choose their principles. And that's, I think, foundational for life. Yeah, that's fantastic. And I know that's what you're focusing with this is like, you want people to come up with their own. Yeah. And that's going to mean being exposed to a lot of different ideas, a lot of different insights to find what they can hold on to and then develop themselves. Did you always think, you've always said that to me since I've met you and obviously that's been the journey that you're on right now that this phase in your life is giving back and sharing the principles you've learned. Have you always had a vision for different stages of your life? And I don't mean a five year, 10 year plan. I mean more of like, this is the world I'm walking into. Like, is that how you- Uh, I would say, I don't know how many years ago, I started to realize the arc of life. Right. There's actually an exercise in the book on the arc in life. That's oh, there the, that that's the yeah. arc in life. Yeah. And these are all the different things that happen to you at that stage. It's almost like a script. And by going down this script, one can see where one is, mm. and one can see the things that are going to come at them. I started to realize that in a big picture pit. I don't know, maybe it was 25, 35 years ago, I can't say, but then I began to research it and understand it a lot greater. And then I began to feel it. You feel it. Again, when you can connect intellectually what's happening with subliminally and emotionally what's happening to you, you gain perspective. And so this, like this phase, um, it's not just an intellectual thing. I don't know, maybe nature has programmed us in our minds to have these needs and feelings at certain age. Mm. So I know that now, like the greatest joy that I can have 
is to help people be successful without me. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know what, what my time horizon is, and I know that my greatest joy is in not any longer in being successful myself. Um, that, was, that, that was great and it's fine and so on, but I don't need more of that, and I really, my greatest joy is in helping other people. And mm-hmm. I can't say whether that is a instinctual, how much of it's instinctual, how much it's cerebral by mm-hmm. seeing that stage in life, yeah. but it's, it's apparent. Yeah, no, absolutely, and you're doing it. Away is a travel company that believes that the more we travel, the better we all become. This holiday season, Away offers a range of suitcases, bags, and other travel essentials made for different types of travelers. From the overpackers, to the minimalists, to the travel expert, to everyone in between. All of Away's suitcases are built to last, with durable, lightweight exteriors that can withstand even the roughest of baggage handlers. Every suitcase comes with an interior organization system that includes a built-in compression pad to help you pack more in and a hidden and removable laundry bag. There's a 100-day trial on everything Away makes. Take the product out on the road, live with it, travel with it. If you decide it's not for you, you can return any non-personalized item for a full refund during that period. No ifs, ands, or asterisks. Away offers free shipping and returns on any order within contiguous US, Europe, Canada, and Australia, except for personalized products. Christmas holiday is just around the corner, so I'm super excited to spend it with my family. My wife's a classic overpacker, sometimes for a weekend trip. She really packs a lot of stuff just in case she needs something. That's why I love using a suitcase from Away because it fits everything we need perfectly. This holiday season, gift away at awaytravel.com forward slash J. That's awaytravel.com forward slash J. I remember last year, my wife and I were doing a charity event to raise funds for COVID-19 in India because we read a statistic that one person was dying every five minutes of COVID-19. And I reached out to you and you just gave such a wonderfully generous donation. And so in so many ways, you're helping and supporting and, and it's been so beautiful to see. You're doing something, we were talking about this just before we started filming, but this idea of like coaching and mentorship, right? Like what you're saying is you're trying to preserve this coaching and mentorship for your grandkids, great grandkids, everyone else's grandkids and great grandkids as well that will have access to this. And journaling is someone that we see so many greats did as well. It's a practice that has stood the test of time. There are two schools of thought. Some entrepreneurs believe that mentors and coaches are a huge integral part of their life. I know that I've had spiritual mentors, financial mentors, career mentors. I've had mentors in every area of my life. I see you as a mentor. Uh, On the other end, there are entrepreneurs who believe they're self-made, that you don't need mentors, you don't need coaches, you don't need to listen to anyone's advice. Where, Where do you sit on that and how do you help young people navigate that today? Because I think a lot of people are are stuck trying to figure it out or they're not doing either properly as well. The second group is stupid. (laughs) Just be clear, okay? That was very radically uh, transparent. I I just want to be clear. They may confuse the fact that um, they may have good instincts. They have to make their own decisions. They can be... um, independent thinkers that might do controversial things in order to be successful. That all is true, okay? That all is true. But the perspectives gained, the learning, uh, the wisdom that is gained, the open-mindedness, the power of stress testing your ideas, 
I say that I think uh, everybody uh, to be successful should be assertive and open-minded at the same time. Mm. People ask, well, what does that merely mean? It means the you have to believe, you have to understand, and at the same time, you have to doubt and pull out mm. and get the questions so that you stress test it <laughs> and that you're learning. Right? Yes, yes. And yes. so there's a great power in getting the other perspectives. You know, a triangulation for me is the, the key to success, one of the keys to success. Triangulation, I mean, get the three smartest people that you know who will care about you, yeah. and, but will disagree with you, will stress test you, and, and, and have those conversations. Mm. And I like to have them disagree with each other. Yeah. <laughs> so I've, I'll bring them into a room and we'll have a conversation. Yeah. And then, okay, do the back and forth. You want to learn about anything. Like I have big initiatives and, uh, where I don't know anything. And I have found that if I follow that approach by getting the best experts and I do that, I can go into things with the, with the guidance. So it's so obviously stupid, I think, <laughs> or so obviously beneficial mm. to be able to draw upon the best thinking and then not to just blindly believe. Of course. So when I say it, be assertive and open-minded at the same time, don't just follow, okay? Do the back and forth, hear the disagreements, and then resolve the disagreements. It's an extremely powerful approach. Yeah, I know. There was this amazing study I read a few years ago in MIT where they said that they did a study, MIT did a study on the most innovative people inside an organization. And they showed two graphs to people and they said, who do you think is more innovative? And in graph number one, it was where one person is connected to lots of different people like this. And then graph two was people connected to people and then the people they knew were connected to each other. And they asked, who do you think is more innovative? And most people said the second. I don't know if that's because people don't know how to read graphs or whether people really thought it was. But the answer was that if you know people who all know each other, chances are you're going to be less innovative and less effective because you live in an echo chamber. But if you know people who don't know each other, who have more random ideas, disagreements, are less likely to uh, affirm each other's beliefs, which is what you're saying, you're actually going to get to a better answer. And so they were saying that if you know people from different backgrounds, different walks of life, different uh, expertise, therefore there will naturally be debate, you get healthier answers. So I think that study always stands out to me. And this is a problem, the biggest problem of our society now. The biggest problem of our society now is individuals who are highly opinionated, who will not exchange open-mindedly mm. the different opinions about things mm. and are in their echo chambers, whether it's on the particular media that they're connected to and so on, who are then having conflicts with each other. Mm. This is a threat to our society. Yeah, and, and let's talk about that. I think that's such a fascinating topic and idea because I, I couldn't agree with you more. If I had to say it for myself, I feel like, I think maybe it was from, you know, Working, I love both my parents, but I, I, I was mediating their marriage since I was a kid. And so I was very good at being on both sides. I loved them both individually. And I would always like, I'd know, I could listen to my mom and I could hear her side and I could empathize with her. And I'd do the same with my dad. And I'd be there for both of them. And it, 
it became a natural thing that I was able to do, I think because of that, when I, when I reflect on it, I think that's how I gained that skill. So I've always found it very natural to be able to understand different sides, to really empathize and connect with different people and see that there's truth and challenges in both. But I think that's hard to do because I think today we feel ideology is our safety, right? And ideology is what makes us feel secure in who we are. Mm. And so, right, that's, that, that's a serious yeah. mistake. Right, so yeah, let's, let's dive into that. How do we let go of that in recognizing that actually knowledge and knowing is far more a safety than holding on to one ideology? I think it's simple, uh, the fear of making bad mistakes or being wrong mm. should be a motivator to take in these different perspectives mm -hmm. and then weigh things, okay? Mm -hmm. An ideology though, let's say it's a political ideology. I want my children to be educated in a certain way. That's mm -hmm. a very particular important ideology. Still means that there are choices that you have. And then the question is, have you made those choices in the best way? And then after you've made those choices, what are you gonna do about it? Should you move from one place to another? Should you, um, what schools do you pick? I mean, you know, those kinds of things. Life is just a matter of those particular choices. And there are win-win relationships and there are lose-lose relationships. And win-win relationships are a lot better than lose-lose relationships. Mm -hmm. So knowing the approach to that, knowing live and let live, I can make my choices, I can move here, I can do this, or the mutual respect that you have for uh, it's okay, you can have your point of view. To be less judgmental is better. I mean, not mm. it's better for everybody. Yeah. Is somebody doing you harm? That's a whole different thing. But the, all of that, I think, is very, very important. The art of thoughtful disagreement is the basis of a very uh, innovative and also harmonious society. Mm. If you want to have an innovative, harmonious society, you have to have the art of thoughtful disagreement. Mm. And the mediator is a very uh, important role so that you play. Um, because like I, I wrote in my other book, Principles, yes. one of the handy things is if you're having a disagreement, one of you might be wrong. And how do you know? And how do you get past that? And so the uh, uh, classic thing is to find, to agree on somebody who you mutually agree will uh, be a fair judge. Mm -hmm and a fair mediator. Mm -hmm. And if you mutually agree on that person, then you bring them, then they can get you, they can help you along. And the exercise of going above it and saying, okay, here's this disagreement, and how do we deal with disagreement and uh, are each other related to the disagreement, that is a good perspective to have. Yeah. And so I think that as we look at all those things, I think that it's so clear that approaches like that are, and perspectives like that, are very, very helpful. Yeah, and I love how you call it an art, because I remember when I was at, in my high school, I was part of my debating team at school. And I first got into it because I, I found public speaking natural and I enjoyed it. And, you know, I, I guess as a young man, I thought it was fun to argue with people and defeat them and things like that. And I'd, I'd go up there and I'd, I'd know how to pick apart someone's argument and I'd know how to bend it and twist it. And then I remember one of our teachers or, or coaches, he, he sat me down and he said, Jay, do you think you're good at this? And I had, an, had a young person's ego, like yeah, I was probably 15, 16 years old. And I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm really great at this. And he said, well, actually you, you are just winning because you're good at arguing, but he goes, you don't actually know how to debate. 
And I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, he said, you're debating based on why your point is better, but he goes, you don't know the other person's point well enough. And so he said, the only way you become a great debater is if you also deeply study the opposing argument. He goes, you can't just win on the merit of your argument. You have to actually understand where that person's coming from. And it changed my whole view of debate. Yes, yeah, so I'll, I'll take that and I'll yeah. go one please, step please. further. Oh, I'd love for you to, yeah. The one step further is not to win your point of view. Yeah. The one step further is to get a truth. Mm. Mm. The real winner mm. is somebody who learns something. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay, so I'm, I'm talking about in life. Yeah. Maybe on the stage you say, ah, oh, you won the debate because you ended up with the position you started with yes. and, the, and you won it, we gave you the most points. Yes. But the real winner in life is to try to find what the best path is. And the one who comes out of it, who has improved their understanding and makes a step forward is the real winner. Yes. So losing the debate in many cases can make you a better winner. Oh, I couldn't agree more, couldn't agree more. And I think, I think that's the challenge. I remember there's, there's a famous phrase, I don't know where it comes from, but there's three sides to every story. One's yours, one's mine, and then the truth. Right, like there's we, but we so often feel that our side is the truth. Our I know it's such a terror. We've been raised that way. Yeah, you know, the educational system means okay. You take a test. I came up with the right answer. I won. Okay, it doesn't take you through the journey of saying I'm now having experience and I was wrong. Mm. And how do I go above that? That's one one of the big reasons why people often who are very successful in school are not very successful in life. Yeah, it's so true. Yeah, it's so true. And I, I hope that this podcast at least reminds people that any argument you have this week, this doesn't just apply with a debate in the workplace or a disagreement at home with your friends, with your family, wherever you are. If you can take a moment to reflect on finding the truth, as you rightly said, and then a bad experience can become a good experience. Mm. In other words, if you approach it as a fight, it's going to produce a lot of anxiety. Mm. If you uh, uh, approach it as a curiosity and an ex- a game almost mm. that you're playing with each other, mm. okay, to try to get at truth, yeah. okay, then that could be really a wonderful experience. Yeah, but somehow we feel that admitting a mistake or admitting we were wrong or discovering the truth makes us weak and makes us... Bad education system, mm. bad, uh, you know, because it, it just looks at that particular answer and it doesn't look at the sequence of discovering truth. Mm. And that's, that, that's, a, that's a problem, it's a, it, it's a problem. But I found in people that um, it's not a problem that they can't get over. Um, I found that uh, we have this culture yeah. in which that's the culture, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It becomes obvious if you're not doing it. Yes. And when that you have in an environment like that, then people's behaviors change pretty quickly. Yeah. I, I would say in, I don't know how many months, it'll vary, but maybe 18 months or so on, uh, that they would be curious, what, are they, what might they be missing? And they understand that it almost is so silly yeah. to be a blocker of ideas um, and to be antagonistic when there's a different point of view. It's, it's really stupid yeah. to do that. Yeah. And when they start to see themselves doing that and asking why are they doing that, that reflection and that then changing behavior then produces 
uh, change behavior that produces rewards, better decisions, and better relationships. Mm. When you have better decisions and better relationships, you have a better life. Yeah, and it, and it does take time. You said 18 months there, I think. I was talking to my team before we kicked off, and I was just saying that I feel like we finally, in, in my company, have a culture where everyone is so self-reflective and self-focused on what they can improve and how they can be better that it makes it easier to have conversations where there's disagreement and debate and a difference of opinion because everyone is reflecting on themselves. They're not coming into something going, no, my idea is the best and we're getting it wrong. But I think that takes a certain kind of person and human who, who has that ability to do that with, while not losing their self-esteem. Yes, but that can, that can be uh, trained. Okay, here's the way it works. There is an intellectual, analytical part of our brains, logical and so on. And then there's this subliminal, which means we don't even know what it's thinking, mm -hmm. emotional part of our brains that is operating that. If you speak with somebody and you, have, you put them in the position of saying, would you like this or would you not like it? And you, they start to experience the two U's, as I call it. <laughs> then they start to see that they may not um, make, they may make a different choice. For example, if I say, um, Jay, I have these thoughts about what you're not doing well. Would you like me to discuss it with you? <laughs> or would you not like me to discuss it with you? Yeah. Or I think you have, I don't know, it could be even a fatal flaw. Yeah. By the way, fatal flaws are not fatal because <laughs> you may not be able to change yourself, mm -hmm. but you can work with people who are strong where you're weak mm -hmm. to be able to be successful. Yes. But when you ask that, um, those things that they find a barrier, it's quite often the case that intellectually they understand it. Yes, obviously it's desirable for you to tell me maybe things I don't want to hear, mm. Mm. okay? Yeah. But I know that of course, I, I first of all, I want to know that you're hearing those yeah. things. And secondly, maybe they're true. And so that exercise of speaking um, where the intellectual yes. and the subliminal are at odds, and they see that it's at odds, and then they begin to pursue a way of being is a training process that can help them to say, I want that. Yes. Yes, it's almost like the debate that we're seeing externally is actually a debate going on internally That's between right. them already, yes. It, that is it. Yes. The biggest debate we have mm. is that debate, the emotional us with the intellectual us, and the path really to success, in my mm. opinion, mm. is to be able to, to align those. Okay, what am I feeling? And then to reflect intellectually. Is that the right thing? If I'm going to, I don't know, punch the person, or if I'm going to maybe eat what I shouldn't eat or something. And then intellectually, I can have the reconciliation between that emotional and that intellectual to make the decision. And I get alignment. And by the way, I find meditation helps a lot. Mm. Um, I can get alignment. And then I can take that view that I have and then triangulate it with others. Mm -hmm. The probability of me making a, a much better decision has increased immensely. And, it's, and all success in life is, is making the better decisions. <laughs> absolutely, yeah, absolutely. You, it's, it's really interesting the path that we've gone down, and I, and I love it. When you said jazz, it's, like, it's definitely been like that because we've gone down a completely different direction, which, which I love. 
But you, you said something, you was like, you know, this is one of the biggest challenges in society today. What are some of the challenges you see in society that we should be addressing at the core? Because this isn't just going into like the current events, it's really looking at root challenges that we yeah. have. I've been a uh, global macro investor for about, well, I'm over 50 years. And one of the things that I learned in my life is that many of the things that surprised me just didn't happen to me before, but they happened many times in history. Mm. So by studying history, I could then do well. Mm. So for example, studying the Great Depression allowed me to do very well in the 2008 financial crisis. What's happening now is allowing me to do very well when others are having problems because of things that have happened in the past. The three big things, and there are a couple more too, but the three big things that are happening to us is uh, first the financial that's happening at a macro level, which is the creation of a lot of debt and the printing of a lot of money to um, pay for that debt. So you don't pay it back with hard dollars and so on. Mm -hmm. and that's putting a lot of money out there and that's producing the stagflation that we have. And the magnitudes of that are unprecedented. You have to go back to the 1930s to wow. see something like that. And so the value of money and what you do with money and its economic impact uh, affects everybody. Uh, the second big influence is the amount of internal conflict that is existing because of larger, large wealth gaps, the largest wealth gaps since the 1930s, the largest values gaps, and then this intransigent win-at-all-cost type of mentality which is reflected in populism. In other words, a populist is a political representative who says, I will fight for you and win at all cost. Mm -hmm. And that means not compromising. Mm -hmm. And that win at all cost is why you see the, the January 6th incidents and things like that. We may be in a position where neither side in the next presidential election accepts losing in the next presidential election. That conflict produces the most irreconcilable differences mm. and people who are in that mindset. And that is what causes civil wars, types of civil wars. You can easily imagine that the central government might give um, directions to the local government or people, and they say, I'm not going to follow that law. Mm. You might see the Supreme Court. You may not find that. We're, and that's a world problem right now. So that second problem is a problem. It's particularly a problem when you have the first problem because the first problem produces financial problems, mm. which produces stress and antagonism and says this wealth gap or whatever it is, values gap, I'm going to fight for. You have the second. That's dangerous. And the third is the rise of uh, powers. Uh, the United States is no longer the dominant power. In other words, if you look at the percentage share of world GDP or military superiority and those types of things. And so you have these rising powers and the United States, and so you have bigger powers in bigger conflicts. We see it obviously with Russia today, but we see it with China and so on. And so the whole geographic world order is changing. All of these things make for greater conflict, mm. right? The financial conflict, the financial pain, how do I deal with inflation? Where should I keep my money? It's not the same. How do I deal with that? Together with the internal conflict and that external conflict produces a very stressful and risky period for the world. Mm. We are in a risky period in the world. Mm. And so that, those are from the macro 
bigger yeah. perspective, the biggest influences. I studied, when I studied this, I studied the last 500 years of history and to see the arcs because the arcs typically take 100 or 150 years to have an arc, a big cycle. And so I needed to study the 500 years and I put it out in a book, mm -hmm. Changing World Order. And there's also a video, free video online, uh, 24 million people seen it. It's, it's easy to see because um, I wanted to convey the message. And um, you, you see those arcs um, repeating over time for certain reasons. I think it's very important that people understand those arcs. And then again, with the equanimity and the other things that we're talking about, approach the, that set of circumstances. So that's the mix of circumstances that I would say creates the environment that we're in. And the key to any environment is uh, to know how to navigate it well. So in that book, I, I wrote different principles of, you know, how do you deal with that kind of an environment? Uh, I'm not saying that environment, it, there's nothing sure in what I'm saying. Yeah, okay? of course, yeah. But uh, it does come back to some basics. And those basics means are, how are people with each other? How am I going to be with you? Mm. Can we have thoughtful disagreement? Can we have compromise? Can we have a country in which we are more together that more and fight and to understand how that choice that together figuring it out is going to be a whole lot better than fighting with each other. Yeah. And I think that's the challenge we're seeing is this massive disparity between the challenge getting more and more extreme and our skills still being at the same level, like that ability to have that conversation or that debate or that disagreement, the skill level we have is so low. That's right. And um, you see by studying um, the French Revolution, Chinese Revolution, the Russian Revolution, all of these Cuban revolutions and so on, when it starts to uh, intensify, you get past the point of listening to each other, and then you go into the fighting mode, and that's a cycle. So like in the French Revolution, there were many in the middle who said this system is not working mm. and for both sides and there should be a reformation and making move. But if you were in the middle, you were guillotined or <laughs> anyone in the middle, um, you have to pick a side and fight. Wow. And that's the nature of that dynamic. It's all within us. Mm. Because if you take any measure of living standards, the world, the world has more wealth than it ever has. It can have greater longevity because there's greater science. So what we have in totality, the world has more than it has ever had, yeah. right? So our opportunity is great if we could just work it out, yeah. right? But we can destroy each other. We can hurt each other very badly because of human nature. And it's the same human nature that existed through time. There are lessons, just don't do this. Yeah, I mean, when, when you say that, I start thinking of when you're studying history and you're studying those 500 years, and, and I'm going to ask you this in a second, but there was an example that came to my mind. I was thinking about, like, where, where did someone get it right or where is their progress as well in history? And I recently got to visit Rwanda, and I would never thought I would have visited, and it wasn't part of my plans. I went because... Uh, one of my friends opened up a conservation center for the environment and for gorillas, and it's a beautiful space out there. So I went there, and we got to trek with the gorillas every day and walk with them. And it's it's a really beautiful thing because you're walking with them in the wild. They're not, you know, kept in a zoo or anywhere like that. They're in their home, and you get to go and observe them in their home. But but more importantly, I went to the memorial, the genocide memorial museum there, and the genocide was just 20 years ago. 
And you learn about the two tribes that, you know, completely, I think one million people died in the genocide out of the 10 million population that the country has. So it's huge, right? Like, and what I was blown away by was I met with some of the survivors and I sat with them because I was just curious and intrigued because everyone there now has let go of the names of the tribes. They've let go of, you know, the, the heritage almost from their parents. Most of these people's parents would have killed each other. Like it's a, it's a very like violent environment, but there's such a healing, there's such a forgiveness, there's such a path to letting go. Now, of course, there's other challenges that are going on in the country and the poverty, et cetera, but the leadership has spearheaded this journey towards collective conscience and like bringing people together and recognizing that we're more alike than we are different. And I was just astounded at how a country 20 years ago in that much turmoil is is rising from that. I, did you find any examples in history where people did have positive mediation? Well, uh, what you're describing is the uh, is the typical cycle. So I'm just going to make clear Please. what the typical cycle is. The typical cycle is that you have a war, a civil war or an international war, that you have a fight for power, mm. and then you have a horrendous experience. Mm. Okay. And then out of that comes a new order, oh, comes a new system. Somebody is dominant. Like a Spanish Civil War uh, is brothers uh, fighting each other and so on, a horrendous experience. And then some force gains the power, wins, and it becomes such a horrendous experience, the French Civil War, the, all of these civil wars, they become such a horrendous experience um, that uh, nobody wants it again. And so the pendulum swings so that you then don't have a war. Right? So, for example, my father um, and that generation fought in a war. Mm. Okay, In the beginning parts of these wars, they're into the war. Mm. You know, They're brave and they're going to go there. And then the war is so horrendous um, and it goes on so long. And it, by the way, it's a great equalizer. They destroy wealth, so wealth equality then becomes greater. And they go into that environment, and then it just, it, it ends. Mm. And then when it ends, there's so much hurting and so much not wanting war that you come to a period of peace and prosperity. Mm. And the cycle goes for peace and prosperity. And then a new generation comes along, okay, who has not experienced uh, the war, and then comes into that and says, uh, we will fight, and so on. Like our generation has not experienced those things, mm. and yet they're intransigent in terms of those fights. And they sort, many people could say, hell yes, I'm, I'm going to fight. And then you go through that cycle. Wow. So that's how the cycle normally works. Mm. How do we then make sure that people understand the ramifications and consequences. Uh, um, I think oh, that's when I put out the book yeah. because I want people to worry about this. I have a principle. If you worry, you don't have to worry. And mm -hmm. if you don't worry, you need to worry. <laughs> okay? Yeah. If you worry, then you will take care not mm -hmm. to do the thing you're worrying about. Yeah. If you don't worry about it, you're probably going to do it. Okay? Mm -hmm. So when I look at the set of circumstances, I believe that we as a society are at a juncture 
we recognize it, this conflict, or can we have win-win relationships? Can we compromise? Can we have this together? Can we work well together or not? Okay, we're at that. I think by seeing those alternatives and, and having a middle, I, 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 you know, I pray for a strong middle. Mm. I pay, pray for avoiding the extremes and the fighting between those extremes. And maybe if that's the case, then we will get it. And it's hard when the system's been set up for the extremes, right? Like it's difficult when... I think it's more human nature than the system. Mm. Like, okay, we've had this democratic system Mm. over through a period of time, but we had one civil war Mm -hmm. and we've had others. How are we going to be? Democracy worked very, very well for a lot of times in a variety of ways. I mean, I don't have to recount them. But at the same time, uh, the history of democracy and cycles... Plato in his book, The Republic, yeah. tells about these cycles over and mm-hmm. over again. Yeah. And, and the real risk to democracy is anarchy mm. because you can't have strong leadership because everybody's fighting over everything and it produces a chaos. Mm. And that chaos becomes intolerable and everybody wants to fight. And then you have the fight. So I think it's more human nature than a system. Yeah, it's human nature just goes in that direction regardless. It's also like... Um, People who went, who didn't have anything and are bro- broken or in the worst possible s- positions mm-hmm. and a society that likes that. And then they come out and then they work well together. They make things and then they can become decadent. Mm-hmm. The society mm-hmm. can become decadent. Mm-hmm. I-, I think our society is decadent mm-hmm. now. I mm-hmm. think this, it's got a problem in that um, the, the lower levels of society I have intimate contact through my wife, particularly, who is helping the, what is called disengaged and disconnected population of high school students in Connecticut. Those are students who disconnected uh, means they're no longer in school, they are out, they don't know where they are. Um, And disengaged means that they have an absentee rate of greater than 25% they're failing classes. 22% of the high school students in Connecticut are one of those. One out of five education isn't working. They're living in poverty. We have created a self-reinforcing cycle that in, in children have, uh, we didn't create an acceptable bottom. You create a situation where children, uh, uh, guns and gangs and children can't walk to school uh, safely. Shootings regularly in Hartford, Connecticut, Bridgeport, Connecticut, just right up the road from us, okay, exists pockets throughout this and then equal opportunity we do not have equal opportunity and to simultaneously have a situation in which we are not taking care of the basics but we are really over you know doing the luxuries is creating a set of circumstances that's a problem i think Mm -hmm. and so um i think that's how man is with each other so you it's a cycle if you get spoiled like this is the thing I worry about, you know, our family does make sure our family doesn't get spoiled or the kids mm-hmm. don't get spoiled because what happens is then um, they're not strong. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a cycle. Yeah. You know, it's like three generations, the classic three generation cycle. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody works hard, they make it, they have those sound values. Then what happens is then they inherit it and then they are in a position where, 
you know, they don't have the same and they're spoiled and, they're, and they say, I don't have to work as hard. I'm living off of what I've got and why don't yeah. I enjoy life and so on. And then while people around them maybe are suffering and, you know, but they, and I see it. And in, uh, uh, I live in Greenwich, Connecticut. It's Bridgeport, Connecticut. People just don't have contact. They don't see it. Yeah. And so there are these cycles that happen. Many of them, they coincide. The cycle that I'm talking about, about attitude, about protecting, and how do we make a good society for the most thing. Let's say the basic idea that we should strive for equal opportunity. Yes. I mean, that's a fundamental thing, equal yes. opportunity, yeah. right? But that doesn't become the banner that either is uh, pursuing. So these cycles of conflict, wealth gaps, and all of those things exist. Yeah, it seems like to me when I hear that, it perpetuates and the cycle continues because it seems that not enough people have experienced. Exactly. Right, yeah. The cycle lasts uh, longer than a lifetime. So you're only going to experience yeah. that piece of the cycle mm -hmm. in your lifetime, right? Wars, depressions, okay, they happen throughout history. Are we not going to go into a war again? Are yeah. we not going to have another depression? That's, of course, at some point we're going to have those things. Okay, but we were lucky. 1945 was the end of the last war. We began a new era. We had this cycle in which things got better and better, and, and there was equality, better equality. I know the world I went, was born into. I was lucky. I was born in 1949. Mm -hmm. I had two parents who could take care of me. I went to a public school, and I came out to a world which for me was a world of equal opportunity. Okay, you, when you have those types of things, and then, Things evolve, and we're in a very different part of the cycle now. The amount of printing of money, the internal conflict, the external conflict, those types of things. We're in a different environment now, and we have to recognize that. And why? We never experienced it. Yeah. If we experienced it and had that, that terror for it or the choice of what could be the joy of the alternative, we would be in a different position. Yeah, it also sounds like we haven't experienced that, but we also haven't experienced what it feels like to live in a culture of higher values, right? So like when you were talking about earlier, and I'm going a bit more micro, but to take it macro again, when you said, in, you know, we create an organization where it's about meaningful work, meaningful relationships, you know, uh, radical transparency. If you've never worked in a culture like that, you don't know the value of it and therefore you naturally have a culture of disagreement, arguments, disconnection. And so it's almost like, how do we get to a point where everyone does it? Like you'll always go, and I'm going very micro here, but you'll always go for the junk food unless you've had healthy, tasty food, right? It's just natural because we've been programmed to look for sugars, carbs, fats. You'll go for that unless you've had healthy, tasty food accessible. Yes. And so on a macro level, the challenge again comes that if you have junk values and you have healthy values, you naturally go for the junk values because that's what served you. And so it's like, how do you give people at scale an experience of how living with equal opportunity or other healthy values is actually better for everyone, right? Like it's, how do we do that? Is that, is that possible? Is uh, that the goal? Uh, is I, that I, not the I goal? think it's uh, the same as good parenting, good mentoring, and the good work that you're doing, right? There are people on this broadcast and you're helping a lot of people. And I'm trying in my way to do the same. 
And then um, it's up here, comes in here, and then it has to be that visceral experience it so that you start to experience the rewards of it mm. so that you're afraid of not doing it, mm. right? Habit, mm -hmm. okay? I talked about 18 months. Okay, you can change the behavior in 18 months. By and large, behavioral change is like an 18-month thing. Mm. <laughs> if you take um, somebody, Alcoholics Anonymous, or if you take other things, can you develop the subliminal um, cue that you're working off of to produce a reaction mm. that becomes instinctual so you do it that is the path and wherever it comes from whether it's coming from this yeah. that whatever we're doing and then action that's taken to change one's habit and then experience the rewards of it that you know that's the cycle yeah. i'm just answering you scientifically <laughs> yeah, right i'm yeah, psychologically yeah. scientifically yeah. that's what it is it's not a philosophical answer it's just the way it is yeah no but that's what it is it's it's building a new culture and the culture starts with each individual building it within themselves right and it was well, so you're making another good point it's those things that i just said in a reinforcing environment mm. in which others share those things mm. And then it makes it the better because that group reinforcing it, which is a culture, mm. has a great, great power over what's going to happen. Culture is destiny. Mm. Culture is destiny. Well, wow. what are some of the things that you think are, after all these years, after all this study, after all this research, have become healthy things to aspire for? I think to be a human means to aspire. Like we're always seeking, aspiring, wanting something. What do you think are healthy things or how can people discover? Because I think we all, you know, everyone could go down the path and think, okay, there was a time, it's what you said, like there was a time when all I wanted was money or success. And then often when people get that, they go, well, that was good, but that wasn't it. Is the goal to just seek and aspire for what you feel at the time and then change it when you get there because you realize that wasn't it? Or are there certain healthy characteristics or values that you think people can aspire for? I do uh, agree on the journey and the mm -hmm. evolutionary process mm -hmm. of, in other words, you go after something, you experience it, you learn, and you evolve. And you're so it's, yes. I believe it's an evolutionary process. Yes. Okay. So I think it is evolve well mm. and contribute to evolution. If I was to say for me, what my aspiration is, is evolve well and contribute to evolution. To know yourself. That's why um, to know yourself means know your nature. Mm -hmm. I put out a free test for everybody yeah, yeah, who wants yeah. it. It's called Principles You. Yes. It's, it's the universally determined like the most effective test. Principles you, it's free online. You can go online and, and understand yourself, and it helps you understand other types of people. So knowing one's nature and then finding the path for that nature is a very important thing. Mm. And number three, I would say, is meaningful work and meaningful relationships Yeah. for most people. Yes. If you have something you're into and it's a passion, and you have wonderful relationships. Mm -hmm. It's, for almost all people, wonderfully rewarding. So I would say it's, you know, those, those three yeah. things. Right, those are beautiful answers. It's always such a joy and pleasure to talk to you. I, I always learn so much. And, and you, you set the tone when you said jazz, 
you you gave us full permission to just go off piste and and really co-create. And I, I love where we got to. I, you know, when we spoke last week and we were saying, what should we talk about? And I never thought it would go in this direction, but I'm so satisfied by this meaningful conversation because I think we went somewhere we didn't plan to. And that always feels like a better end than what you did plan to as well. Well, this was like playing good jazz, yeah. but th this isn't the end. Like no, no, I, no, please. Like I'm, I'm, what I'm telling you is that I'm coming back at you, man, right? Oh, okay. So I am going to, you ask me a lot of questions, okay? But <laughs> what time. I'm gonna do is I'm coming at you for your principles, okay? <laughs> I want you uh, articulate, and I'm gonna give you those things because I want that to be put out, okay, and distributed. And I want people to vote them up mm. for the best situation. How do you deal with a divorce, mm -hmm. a death in the family, whatever? I'm going to give you a bunch of those types of questions. Mm -hmm. What's your formula for success? Mm -hmm. Okay. So imagine now there's Jay Shetty's and there's other people there that they can vote those things up to get whatever they think is the best, which is essentially creating the principles for themselves or almost the way of life, the religion for yeah. themselves that they think is going to be best. So I think that's of paramount importance. I can't wait for that. I'm so excited, yeah. to, I'm so excited to contribute, more excited to use. Uh, it sounds like a fantastic resource. Are you de you're developing that yeah. right now, yeah. yeah. And and the goal is that it will be every area of life. Every There's, area every of life. Area, like business, I'm, I'm, family. That's right, I want yeah. anybody on anything to that's give the principles, right? Yeah, that's and you just push the button, you say, I need help with, I've got a, I don't know, a ADD four-year-old. Yeah, yeah. Okay? Yeah. Push the button. Mm -hmm. What's the best principle? That would be amazing. Okay, that's what I'd like to do. So uh, tell me, in terms of the journey of life, what are you going after mm. and why? How do you look at your journey of life? What are you going after and why? And that's you. And then what do you think other people should do for their journey of life, because they may go after different things. Mm -hmm. So give me the more general answer mm -hmm. that may not be uh, just yours. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So there's a few steps to this. The first thing I'd say as a general is that there are four really important decisions that I believe we have to make in life. And the first principle is how do I feel about myself? I think that's a really important decision and choice we get to make every day is who am I and how do I feel about who I am and who I want to be? How do I feel about myself? Now, when we get there, I'm going to go to a principle that's going to help Please. that. I'm going to pull, I love it. pull it out of you, okay? Yeah. So what do you do? Do you then, um, as you're making these choices, mm -hmm. say, I'm experiencing this and therefore I feel better? and then therefore that helps guide me on what I should do? Yeah, so I think with that one, it, I think we're very aligned on the aspect of nature. I think mm -hmm. we're very aligned on that. It's why I love the uh, principles you assessment. Like the idea of knowing that there is a wiring in the way that we've been created and evolved that allows us to be effective. And so for me, I have a, I have a uh, short formula for that and it's passion plus strengths plus service. So I believe that your passion is what makes you happy. And when you use your passion in the service of others, it makes other people happy. And so when you add your passion to your strengths and you add it to service or contribution. It equals what? It equals purpose. Okay, purpose. It equals purpose, yeah. Okay, so 
people have to have a purpose, okay? Mm -hmm. And that equals the passion, passion plus, plus the strength, strength, plus contribution or service, the ability to service. use that in the service okay, of Okay, there we go. Yeah. There's a formula there. Mm -hmm. Right, there's yes. a principle. Yes. Okay? Yeah. That's the general. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's the general. Like that's the first, that's only the first decision, and that's the formula for the first decision. Overarching. Overarching. Yeah. Like that for me has been my my dedication is to help people figure out their purpose because I believe that if we have people of purpose, they'll be better people, they'll be better partners, they'll be better parents, they'll be better professionals. Because I think what's missing in the world is a feeling of individual and collective value. I see. And then yeah. we, they know that they're getting it mm -hmm. because of how they feel about themselves. Mm -hmm. Yes, I think Is when you, right? yeah, when you have purpose, you, I, what I've, what's fascinating about purpose is, I think one of the, and this is probably quite a nuance, but one of the signs of a lack of purpose is that we envy everyone. We, we want to be like everyone. We look at what someone does and we're like, oh, I wish I could do that. I wish I could do that. When one finds a sense of purpose, one can actually appreciate someone else for what they do really well because you realize that's their nature and that's what they were born to do and this is mine and this is what I was born to do. And so there's a lack of envy, I think, is a great indicator to a sense of purpose. Like, I, I love what you do. I admire what you do. I could never do what you did over all these years, not because I'm insignificant or invaluable or I'm not smart. It's just because my smarts are different and I'm, I'm meant to be following a different path. And we so agree of knowing what your nature is mm -hmm. and getting that feedback. Yeah. And by the way, I, I, and we both like Principles You as yeah. a way, as a step to, toward that. What about the life arc? Yes, the second most important decision applies to the first is, what do I do for money? I think that's one of the, that's the second, and that right. applies to what we said, yeah. Right. So that, that applies to the two things. Those first two things are solved by the equation we just discussed. Like, what do I do for money? That's an important decision we have to make in life. Everyone needs to make money, everyone needs to pay bills. So that's already there. The third most important decision we make in life but, is- uh, I don't uh, want to skip over oh, no, that. Oh, no. do you, do you, uh, can we drill into that or should we go to the next uh, one? No, so we can, we can drill into that. I okay. think, yeah, we can drill okay, into that, so absolutely. Yeah, how do you good. approach that question? I think that's what I'm saying. Some parts of it apply to the nature aspect. Mm -hmm. and I think I think the part that is missed mostly in that, and I love the author of Flow who talked about the beautiful synergy between our challenge and our skills. So he said that we experience flow when our challenge meets our skills. When our skills are high and our challenge is low, we feel bored, we feel disconnected, we feel disengaged. But when our challenge is high and our skills are low, we feel depressed, we feel lost, we feel confused. And so if we want to feel, experience flow in life, we have to find where our skills meet our challenge. And to me, that's where, how what we do for money, I think one of the biggest mistakes we make is today people are only focusing on passion and not building their skills and their strengths. And so to me, when you're figuring out what you want to do for money, you have to figure out what skill am I willing to get really good at? What am I genuinely willing to discipline myself to become phenomenal at. Right. And so if I can do that, then that's a good thing you're to You're saying, from. And, which I, I agree with, and yeah. as we covered, know your nature and, and discover it along mm -hmm. the way. Um, but also, uh, for me, it's uh, if I can make my work and passion the same thing and not forget about the money part. Yes. Um, then I am going to probably be successful 
because I'll be happy. I'll also be good at what I'm doing. Yes. And the money part is an important part that you can't forget about. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. I think um, another principle ideally is um, to be self-sufficient plus. What I mean by self-sufficient plus is that um, you're not dependent on any on the money coming from anybody else if you can. Yes. Right? Yes. That because you then have, if it doesn't mm-hmm. come from anyone else in that way, mm-hmm. first you're raising yourself to the level to be self-sufficient. And I don't really care whether that's at, at a high level of income of or a low level of income. The important thing is that you're happy, that you pursue goals um, yes. and that happiness and, and that particular thing. But if you're self-sufficient, it means you're free, you're self-sufficient, yes. and it means also that you can help others if you, because you've got some plus. Um, what are your thoughts about um, where, that, that's one of mine. Yeah. What about yours in terms of that measurement about money? How do you approach money? What is the right amount of money? Yeah, I, I would say that we're very aligned. I think the right amount of money is what's right for you and what you're creating. But I love the self-sufficient plus because I, I had this conversation. I, I had to really rewire my relationship with money as I grew older because I was kind of trained to believe that I always needed just enough. I always grew up with just enough. I saw zero in my bank. I started working when I was 14 and saw zero in my bank account for many, many years. And that was fine. It was like, okay, I had just enough. I paid for that thing. Okay, if I have zero, that's good. Like I lived like that from 14 to 21. And then when I went, when I went back into the world of work, I just realized how that was not the way to live. And it wasn't, I, I lived that way because I had luxuries. It was just what I had. It wasn't that I was wasting money. It was just that I never knew how to make it, keep it, save it, invest it. And so when I rewired my relationship with money, I love self-sufficiency plus because to me, I also realized that being able to contribute, being able to give back, being able to pass on was such a healthy part of it. But so often we're trained that simplicity is having enough for yourself. But having enough should include being able to also give, whatever that may be. Same experience Uh, happened to me, and we're talking about the life arc. Like for me, up until, I I guess it was probably, it was certainly my early 20s, I was exactly like you. Like, I like to do the things I like to do. If I've got enough money to do them, I'm having a blast. (laughs) I don't need any more than that. Yes. And then I got to a point where I started to calculate how many weeks I could live if not a dollar came in. (laughs) Okay, if I could live, can I live a month? Can I live 12 months? Um, I would calculate if I'm spending at this and I have this, and I wanted to live, have enough freedom Mm -hmm. of that Mm -hmm. worry that I could have that amount. Um, and And I got to the point where uh, it was about three years. If if I could have three years mm-hmm. that I knew, like, I'm downtime, and I'll, that gives me enough wiggle room. Mm-hmm. And so I started to realize that if I took the amount of money I had mm-hmm. by the rate at which I spent it, mm-hmm. and I calculated how long it would last, <laughs> yeah. that that gave me that kind of perspective. Yes. And, that, and, and, that, and then I have a family. Yeah. And then as I start to think of the family, that number changes. Mm-hmm. And of course, what, like you say, everybody then is an investor. Correct. Because everybody who has that has to put it somewhere, got to know about it. Yeah. But I had the same experience. 
I think that experience is part of the life arc. Yes. You know, in the <laughs> earlier part of your it's life. It's reassuring to hear that, yeah. It's, it's normal. Then you get to a certain other part of your life. Yeah, and, and I think the other thing for me and, and the measure that I give people is that, let's say when you start your working life, hopefully it isn't this case, but I think for the majority of people it will be, when you first start your career, 100% of your time at work is potentially doing something you don't love. And I think- That's good for you. Yeah, that's good for you. It's important. It builds resilience, it builds character, it's great. But I think success and happiness to me is that as life goes on, that percentage starts to get lower and lower. Well, and lower. I think it is, I think it's just that you do things, for me anyway, yeah. it's that I do things that I don't love because I get things that I love more. Yes, I've, I couldn't agree more. I, I say that about my life today when everyone's like, oh, Jay, you must love your life. And I'm like, I do plenty of things that I don't love to do in order to make time and space to do what I love to do and do more of, I fully agree. But I think that percentage needs to shift because you don't want 100% of your time at work to be doing something you don't love. Another yeah. principle I would say, and I want to get yeah. your thoughts, I'm going to pull out your principle, mm -hmm. is uh, own it and don't be the victim. Mm. Uh, what what yeah. I mean. Yes, yes, yes. That person who describes you know, this terrible thing and also tends to blame others. Mm -hmm. I didn't, this thing happened and that thing happened mm -hmm. is probably not looking at it as what do I do in this chestlet game of life yeah. that is now having these things come at me yeah. where if you own it and you say, listen, this is your game, yeah. this is your life and these things come at you yeah. and now it's your move and you got to make those moves right. So you're th thinking not, woe is me, but you're thinking, okay, now I've got to do that. Yes. I think that's an important uh, approach to life. What do you think of yes. uh, and what is, or your version of something like that? Feel free to totally disagree no, with me. No, no, I, feel... I, I, I wish, I mean, I, I'm not saying I wish I disagreed with you, I, I don't, because mm -hmm. I, I think there's a, a lot of similarities. I've always called it change the situation, change yourself. And it's like, I think a lot of us, those are two choices. And, and I think a lot of the time we put a lot of energy into changing a situation. And to me, that's a lot of the time that's out of our control, what we were discussing. Like I can't decide the weather today. I can't decide whether, someone's gonna like me because of how I behave with them. I can't change someone's complete energy or aura towards me. I can't always change the situation, but I can change how I view it. I can change myself. And Wayne Dyer had a beautiful statement where he said that uh, when we change the way we look at things, the things we look at change. And I think that's always been very important to me is that if I can't change the situation, how can I look at it differently? How can I change the lens through which I'm perceiving this? So I hear that connected yeah. to the thing that you said earlier about whether you're feeling good for yourself. Yeah. And it brings up another is uh, don't worry so much about the approval of others. Yes, yeah, that's a great one. I mean, that's that's a huge one. I mean, that's at the core of so much of this. It's I, I talk about, in, in my book, Think Like a Monk, I talk about the four C's for the four types of people you'll meet in your life. And the problem is we're trying to find one person to do all four of them. So some people in your life are gonna have character. You go to them because you know they have high character. That's why you trust them. They may not always be around, they may not always be available, they may not be, you know, they may not be next to you every day, but you go to them because you know if you want to make a decision with high integrity, that person is a person of high character. Then you have someone in your life who's consistently there. 
you have someone who's always been your friend, they've always been around, they don't necessarily give the best advice or the worst advice, but they're consistent, they're there, they're with you, they, they will go through the trenches with you and they're consistent. They don't always have the best next move or the best idea or insight, but they have value in the fact that they're loyal, they're consistent, but that is their value in knowing that. Uh, the third is care, someone who cares about you. I always give the idea of my, my mother. Like if I called my mom right now, I was like, mom, I was just with Ray. I just interviewed Ray Dalio. I learned all, she would just be like, have you eaten today? Like that's what my mom would ask me. She's like, what did you have for breakfast? I'd be like, mom, like I just spoke to Ray. And she'd be like, no, no, no. What did you have for breakfast? What are you having for lunch? Right? That's, it's someone who cares for me. I'm not necessarily going to go to my mom to ask her for advice for my podcast, but I know she's the person that cares for me. Like I know she'll be there for me no matter what. Uh, and the final one is competence. There are people in our life who are high competence. They may not care about us. They may not have high character, but they're very competent in what they do. And I may take advice from them in that. So to me, knowing who to get approval of in different areas, if I try and get career approval from my mom, she may never give it to me because she's not happy for me to be on a plane and she's not happy for me to be running around and missing meals. She, she doesn't approve of that. Uh, at the same time, I don't need... Uh, my spiritual teacher, for example, I go to him because he's of high character. He, but if I asked him for business advice, he'd say to me, well, this is my integrity principle, but he's not necessarily going to give me investment advice. So I think becoming very clear about who I went to approval for what became very useful. You see, um, yeah. these are coming out nice and uh, quickly. It's like playing jazz, you know? Yes. There's, yeah. a, there's something that happens really quickly and it happens. But it, very important to slow that down because I'm going to be able to take this. Stuff. Okay, yes. I have no, it in no, the book. No, oh, yeah. Not here. no, no, no. This is <laughs> oh, playing jazz yeah, together. Right, right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I'm saying then to convert it to principles yes. so that somebody can look it up. Yes. Okay. Yes, yes. Is going to be, this is why it's so great. Yeah. Because I can take what, what you've done and we can put it there. And then somebody says, when I go for that moment, how do I push the button yes. and get the answer? Yeah. Right? It's going to be brilliant. Okay, that that's this is a, this is an important thing. Uh, it's going to be uh, fantastic. Uh, uh, right. So I want to just keep pulling these I love it. these I love things it. from you, right? Yeah, I love it. I, I can't wait to do more. And and you know, I won't we won't go into depth on these De decision 3 and decision 4. The third most important decision we make in life is who do we give our love to and who do we receive love from? Mm. I think it's a huge decision. The Three, most, maybe the most, <laughs> maybe, maybe the most, one of the most important One decisions, of the most important right? decisions. The most important decision, I, I was just at my, uh, I'm sorry for the No, I want to hear from you, please. I was just at my, uh, uh, one of my son's weddings and I was just describing what it is and the peace that I have. And I was making the point, which I truly believe, is who you pick as your life partner, mm, the person the you wake up with in the morning uh, and who is in that life partner yeah. is the most important decision you can make. Probably, it's, it's certainly right up there. So you're touching on that. So go. I didn't mean to. No, no. I want to. I mean, no. Hearing about your son's wedding. That's with beautiful. That? I fully agree. Okay, it's such so a huge Okay, so that's what decision. I hear you saying. Yeah, yeah. So it's keep exactly going. that. And and I think for me, I broke that down from from research, from cultures, from working with clients in that space who have been married for a lot longer than I have. Uh, and of course, it would be wonderful to get your feedback. And and wonderful Jim, who's both of our book agents as well, who's had a very long marriage himself. And so I'm, I'm always stress testing my ideas with Jim. I'm saying, Jim, what do you think of this? Uh, but I came with three things. Uh, the first thing is, this is the obvious one. It's like liking someone's personality. You have to like them. They have to like you. That's obvious. We know that. There's a sense of compatibility more than just chemistry. Uh, I think people often... I was likening recently an analogy of like chemistry is like a spark, like you light a match. 
there's like the spark, you hear the sound, you see the fire, but then the flame's gonna burn out, the match is gonna last like this long. But if you use that match to burn a candle, that candle's gonna give scent forever. It's gonna last, it's gonna burn and be beautiful for so many people to experience. So that's that compatibility piece. The second piece, which I think is rare, is like a deep awareness and respect for each other's values. So I think if you really love someone, they don't necessarily have the exact same values. I don't think they have, they may have similar versions, but they're never exactly the same. And I think respecting and being aware and encouraging the other person towards their values is really healthy. So I always give the example of me and my wife. My wife, her first value is family. That's her number one value. And my number one value is purpose. They're very different and they can be conflicting often. I wanna be on a plane when we have a family event. I'm, I'm at an event when we're doing this. But we found a way of respecting each other's values and then showing each other that we respect it, but we're not forcing each other to have the same value because we're different people. And then the third and final one I found is uh, a dedication to helping that person get to their goals, for them to reach their potential that I love you so much that I'm gonna help you get to your goal, not my projection of who you should be or who I wish for you to be, but who you wanna be, I'm gonna help you. Because I think that's the greatest act of love is that if you really love someone, you wanna see them become the best version. Well, I'm very excited about taking these and putting them in the writing and pushing the button so <laughs> yeah, everybody can. I'm excited, and they're all it. in my new book, Eight Rules of Love, so that comes out Next year, 31st what Jan. What is it called? Eight Rules of Love. Okay, it's interesting. And so yeah. there's eight in there. Have you uh, taken the test of five types of love? Uh, I have, yes. Yes, yeah. very good. It's a great test, I'm yeah. Great. Uh, it was so interesting to see it. We did it at uh, family, you know. My, yes. My son's daughter-in-law's and everything. What are yours? I'm interested. What are your love uh, um, languages? I want to well, know. Well, um, I'm um, acts of love. Okay, uh, acts uh, of uh, service, yeah. I am not the compliments. Yes. Yeah, not or, words of affirmation. Yeah. Words, I'm not yeah, words, no of, words affirma of affirmation. Right, yeah. right? Yeah. Don't give me the words. Okay. <laughs> Good and, to know. And, and it's so interesting because um, I, I see it all the time in our relationship. Yes. So being able to articulate that. Yes. I forgot what the yeah, other yeah. ones are. There's, uh, there's uh, words of affirmation, there's acts of touching. service, gifts, touch, and time. And time. Quality right. time, yeah. Yeah, quality time. Yeah. That's important too. But I see it when we did the little test yeah. and we did it, we could see where sometimes it was going like that. Yes, yeah. Oh yeah, completely. It can be totally opposite. Yeah. yeah. It, in other words, I'm I'm giving you something. Yeah. And you're not appreciating it because you're looking for the other type. Exactly. And it's so handy to do. Absolutely. And these personality profile tests are valuable in finding out our nature yeah. and operating that way. So I'm looking forward to your book. No, thank you. I, I, I think what you're doing in extracting principles and putting them in one place, I think that's really special because, yeah, if I went through my first book and now my second book, there's so many principles in there. But like you said, you know, you have to <laughs> flick pages to find them. To be able to just search into an engine is, is a brilliant idea. I created a, uh, uh, what I call a coach, and it's in this uh this app, Principles for Action. And the way it works is, because I was thinking, what do I need an answer to? Mm. And then it gets you to the right principle. Yeah, yeah. Because if you have a book of principles, you don't have that access. Mm -hmm. So the app is needed to be able to say, okay, here I am, I'm in this situation, boom, button, 
get the right ones because mm-hmm. you'll never find them. You'll never raise that <laughs> book again. Yeah. Why not use it? Yeah, app? absolutely. Much quicker and 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 easily accessible. And I think the the fourth one to finish it off to finish off my my piece at least was um, the fourth most important decision in the world is that we make in our lives is uh, how do we serve the world? How do we how do we help the world? And it's interesting to hear you because those four decisions that I talked about they move through the four stages of life as defined by the Vedas, which is what I studied as a monk. And so the four stages, which I've reconfigured into my language are love yourself, love others, heal from pain, and then love the world. And I feel like that's the journey that we're being encouraged to go on in life is we first have to learn to love ourselves. Second, we learn to love others, uh, wives, kids, families. Uh, Third, we have to actually heal from the pain of love because sometimes love can, uh, you know, there's a few thorns along the way, there's a few challenges, and I feel sometimes we hold on to that bitterness. And when you cure that bitterness, you actually get the ability to love everyone, love everyone you meet and love the world. So the fourth stage is how do we learn to serve the world? How do we contribute to the world, which you're demonstrating at this stage in your life where you're like, I want to give back, I I want to help. And so that's the fourth one. And it's so wise. I think that I didn't really appreciate in the middle part of my life the power of love. Mm. I think that there's accomplishment and you're focusing on accomplishment. Yeah. And sometimes that has conflict and you do the conflict, um, but you don't realize how enjoyable <laughs> love is, yeah. how enjoyable giving love is and receiving love is or being in a loving community which is also one of the reasons that the environment that that i perceive now is so repugnant to me Mm -hmm. because it has so much the opposite of love it has so much hate it has so much anger it has so much fighting in it that's so destructive that's so toxic Mm. so that love and a society that has that Oh, it is true that the greatest joy you get is that experience of helping others and them and the connections totally. and all of that. And it produces a, an environment that you want to be in. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that for those who are listening and, and love feels ethereal or elusive, I, I think as a basic, for me, love is like safety plus understanding, right? If someone feels safe and someone feels understood, that is the beginning of love. It isn't love in itself, but... People need to feel a sense like I feel safe with you and I feel understood by you. You know, that's the beginnings of that feeling. And in a workplace, safety and understanding are very core aspects that could easily be implemented. And even in a relationship, family. My, my view of what love is, is that I feel what you feel so that it brings me happiness. Yeah. Because you have a relationship that, ah, you're well. Yes. Ah, you're happy. Yes. And and that brings me happiness. Yes. That's what... Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Feeling other people's pain, feeling other people's love, like being able to have that ability. It hurts me. Yeah. If or it hurt. brings me joy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that is love. Yeah. That is, that is really beautiful. And, and yeah, I think that's what... It's so crazy. We've talked about so many different topics today, and it's amazing how, how love is that one unifying force that we're all seeking for, but... It's almost like there's just so many, we've created so many barriers to love because we think 
love makes us weaker to some degree. We feel that feeling someone else's pain or feeling someone else's joy somehow takes it away from us. And, and think like a monk, I call it the, um, I, I say that there are, there are unlimited seats in the theater of happiness, but we're living in a world that has made us believe there are a finite number of seats. Because now, if you want to go see a big sports game, there are a finite number of seats. There are a finite number of VIP tickets. And so that mindset has made us believe that even in the theater of happiness, there are a finite number of seats. But the, be reassured that your name is on a seat and, and you can claim it. No one else can have that seat. It's there waiting for you. And well, for me, love works in that um, it reinforces my well-being mm. and it reinforces my joy. Uh, because it's part of that evolutionary process because I also get what your happiness is, and that's the sense. Because it's interesting, psychologists, uh, in terms of what has produced happiness, um, they show that uh, past a certain basic level of income or money, um, there's not a correlation yeah. between happiness and, mo and money. Yes. Um, the highest is community mm -hmm. across societies. If you have a sense of community, yeah. you have a higher level of happiness, you live longer, all of those things. That is love, that is connectivity. I think that's I love a that. real power. Yeah, it's, it's almost like saying like, it's not about the journey, it's not about the destination, it's about community. Like That's the key thing. Meaningful work and meaningful relationships is a powerful combination. Yeah, yeah. Well, I could do this with. Oh, forever. so could I. I mean, we could literally. I mean, I'm so glad this you did is this. Jazz, right? Yeah, this is beautiful. I'm, I'm so happy that you flipped it back on me. I got to share some things that I haven't really talked about in that way yet. So well, I'm you really can happy. expect more. Yes, I, and I'm going to organize it. You I want to help to help me organize. Yeah, it I'm more. I'd so love that we to. put those principles in a good way. I think that is such a genius idea. Honestly, I'm all in. Any any help and support I can give to Great. formatting, sharing, amplifying, I'm, I'm in. Great. It sounds incredible. Great. Honestly. The world would be a better place. Yeah, I'm Thank looking you. forward to that. What, what is it called? This is the app. This is on the app or this is separate to the app? Well, this is going to be built out on, the, on the app. Perfect. We have the means by which we can collect them now. Mm -hmm. We haven't built the voting them up yet. Got it. So there's going to be on, connected to this. Yeah. All people will input their principles and we're going to have all of these things and they can That's go amazing. on and they say Jay Shetty's principles. Yeah. That's so cool. Um, that'll exist. That's so cool. Um, and take a clip of this tape and put it on or whatever yeah, it is so that, that people can see it. Uh, but the voting up, we're building. Yes. So that has to be built. That's brilliant. And That's we have a, a, a tool called the coach that will help to get them to the right principles, but that's got to be built up more. That's amazing. Well, we figure out the coach as well. There, there'll be some synergies there. So. Oh, okay. I'll yeah, show you the yeah, coach. Yeah, show me that. Yeah, because yeah, we have the first version exactly. of it. Exactly. And I'd love your feedback, and we That'd can talk about how to do that. That'd be incredible. Yeah, it's cool. Amazing. Everyone who's been listening and watching, I hope you've enjoyed the jazz. Uh, I, I can't play any instruments anymore. I don't know if Ray still plays no, any. my dad was a jazz musician. Oh, really? And I can't play, and it breaks my heart. <laughs> yeah, I, I learned the piano and the drum yeah. kit, and now I can't play either. But either way, I hope you enjoyed the music. Uh, I'm so grateful to sit down with Ray to have this free-flowing conversation. These are my favorite conversations where I literally feel like we're just 
co-creating, collaborating, inventing together. Uh, I highly recommend that you grab a copy of the journal, My Principles, it's out right now. Uh, We've referred to a lot of different things, books and apps in the conversation. We'll put them all in the show notes so you have access to each of them. We have interviews with Ray on Principles U, uh, Changing World Order and Principles as well on the show. So if you wanna go back and reference those, please feel free. A big thank you to Ray for being so generous with your time. I think we've been together for a couple of hours. I'm I'm so grateful, Big thank you to Jay. This is fun to play. Jazz Ray and Jay, Ray and Jay.